eliminated all life on the planet. Decisive action was required, but the secure transport of an entire civilization would demand a new kind of cooperation, a new kind of courage, and a new kind of union. Thus, in 2159, the United Colonies were formed to make that journey possible. Hey there, welcome to the Lord to Death podcast. My name is Brett, and today I want to share in the hype that is Starfield. I've been playing as much as I can since its release on September 6th, and I'm really into it so far. There are plenty of complaints about the game, but I think that's mostly a very vocal minority. Overall, it's a pretty standard Bethesda game, and I think the people complaining about it were expecting Star Citizen or some other space simulator when it was never really advertised that that would be the case. It really does have that standard Bethesda charm, which I think is really important. While it's a totally different game than their other IPs like Elder Scrolls or Fallout, I think it takes the essence of what makes those games so special and throws it into a whole new universe. Literally. I think it's quite spectacular what they've managed to accomplish on this scale, and I'm pleased to announce that, as of writing this episode, the only bugs that I've encountered are bugs of the character models that don't interfere with the game. And only one crash to note. Bethesda said that it was going to be their least buggy date to launch, and while that bar is lower than a limbo pole at a contortionist convention, I think it's actually a fair statement. I've said this to a few people and have gotten varying degrees of confusion regarding this statement, but hear me out. To me, Starfield feels like an offshoot of The Outer Worlds made by Obsidian Entertainment in October of 2019. It almost feels like the roles were reversed from Fallout 3, which was a game made by Bethesda, and Fallout New Vegas, its spiritual successor made by Obsidian. Granted, Starfield is a bit less goofy and animated than The Outer Worlds, but it has the same vibe, in my opinion. If someone put Starfield in a case that said Outer Worlds 2 Electric Boogaloo, I probably wouldn't question it too hard. But I could go on forever about that weird comparison, or both of these games separately forever, but I think it's about time to get to the topic at hand. Today I want to talk about the three interstellar forms of government in the Starfield universe, the United Colonies, Freestar Collective, and House Varun. Before we start, it's important to note that this episode will be entirely spoiler-free of the main story of Starfield. Everything that I talk about is the deep lore from before the events of the game, and just touching on where each faction is during the events of the game, but nothing that I would consider a spoiler. In fact, we aren't going to touch on the plot of Starfield pretty much at all. So if you have played or are currently playing it, you can get some information that might enrich your experience, and if you haven't played it at all yet, maybe this can give you the push to try it. So, once again, there will be no spoilers for the main plot. There will be one spoiler for one side quest, but I will let you know before it happens, so there's no need to worry, I don't think. But before we go too far into each individual faction, let's start with humanity going into space to begin with. Humans first started their space exploration with expeditions to Mars in 2050. In the next hundred or so years, a fellow by the name of Dr. Victor Isa found an artifact on Mars's surface, which had some interesting gravitational properties. He was able to take this artifact and reverse engineer it into what would be mankind's first grav drive, formerly known as a graviton loop array. This was a module that would allow ships to make faster-than-light jumps from one place to another, and also provided ships with artificial gravity. So, mankind was able to properly start exploring space, but nothing comes without a price. 
and unfortunately the extensive testing of grav drives on Earth rapidly caused the destabilization of Earth's magnetosphere. This would mean that over the next century, Earth's atmosphere would entirely collapse. This, of course, facilitated the need to get off of Earth, and caused mankind to kind of band together to get people into space where they would search for other habitable planets. Thankfully, by this point, the grav drive was more or less perfected, allowing them to jump to other planets and search for new homes. In 2156, they traveled to Alpha Centauri, a star system with four planets and eight moons, which was also the closest star system to Sol. It was here in the Alpha Centauri system that the United Colonies was founded in 2160, in an attempt to secure an interstellar government, and for a period of time, it was the only one. In the Alpha Centauri system, the colony of New Atlantis was founded on Jemison, and became the capital of the United Colonies in 2161, just one year after their founding. Their administrative building was created at some point during this time, but it's not really explained when, and that was called MAST. This was an acronym that stood for Military, Administrative, and Scientific Triumvirate. MAST was where the members of the United Colonies would get together to make important decisions, much like a board of directors. Official evacuations of Earth continued until 2199, but only a fraction of the population was able to be successfully taken off Earth, and billions died on the barren planet before its atmosphere collapsed in 2203. By 2330, at the time of the game about 200 years afterwards, Earth had no signs of life and most evidence of their society had been wiped out and nothing but dunes and a few ruins remained. In the evacuation of Earth, there was one fellow who played a pretty big part in making sure as many people got out as they did. His name was Solomon Coe. Originally born in Wyoming, he was an astrophysicist first and a spaceship designer second. His ships were some of the designs used to get people off of Earth. And after he left Earth, Ko was inspired to become an explorer, seeing the vast wonders of space. In 2161, the same year that New Atlantis on Jemison became the capital for the United Colonies, they issued what was known as the Centaurus Proclamation, which was a sort of framework for settling new planets and the creation of sovereign factions. This was basically the frontier phase of the United States, where it was sort of, if you can find land that no one else has claimed and you can hold it, then it's yours. But as far as I could find, there's not really a lot more information about it other than being name-dropped maybe once or twice in the game. So what exactly these boundaries were? We might never know. But because of the Centaurus Proclamation and Solomon Coe's newfound interest in being the next Space Columbus, Coe found the Cheyenne system, and in it found a habitable planet, which was dubbed Aquila. He would later establish Aquila City with the help of other colonists just beside where he first set foot on the planet. For several years, he was invested in mapping the entire planet before he turned to politics in the year 2188, where he proposed an alliance with the planet Neon in the Voli system. This alliance would birth the second interstellar government, which was called the Free Star Collective, and was officially founded in 2189. I think it's important to note at this point that a lot of the history is distorted by the United Colonies' viewpoint, and much of the lore comes from their accounts of the tales in the council buildings in New Atlantis. With all of these stories, take them with a grain of salt because there is some definite bias. And this is actually pointed out by different party members in-game as you walk through the UC Orientation Hall, which has an interactive exhibit on the history of the United Colonies. And this is a very good example coming up that is just a rumor that is more or less unsubstantiated but is accepted as a general truth. So just a couple years later in 2190, it's said that a colony ship set off from New Atlantis to possibly find new planets to settle. 
Somewhere along the way, the colonists aboard claimed to have communicated with a deity known as the Great Serpent, which gave them the mandate, worship the Great Serpent or be devoured by it when it circles the universe. The colonist ship was lost for about 50 years before it suddenly came back in 2230, led by a man named Jinan Varun. They revealed themselves to these settled systems as House Varun, the third form of interstellar government whose sole purpose was, at the time, to spread the word of the Great Serpent and their religion so they could save as many people as they could before being devoured by their new god. Their origins are shrouded in mystery, however, and there isn't a lot that we know about their founding, their religion, or their beliefs past the message of the Great Serpent. If you ask a member of House Varun to elaborate, they basically look at you like you have three heads and say something like, What's not to understand? Worship the Great Serpent or be devoured! We do know, however, that their capital city is called Dazra, on the planet of Varun Kai. However, we don't know where that is, and many people in House Varun don't either. It's in an unknown star system so that House Varun can stay safely hidden away from the rest of the galaxy. But why are they cut off from the rest of the galaxy? Well, we'll get to that in a hot minute. Taking a slight step back to the year 2194, five years after the Freestar Collective was founded and four years after the Varun colony ship had gone missing, the United Colonies had launched a massive medical star station known as the Clinic into orbit around the planet Deepala in the Narian system. The residents of Deepala, not yet allied with any other faction, protested the United Colonies putting a station in orbit around their planet, for fear that this was the first step in annexing their planet under UC rule. In protest, they voted to join the Narian system with the Freestar Collective. The vote succeeded, and yet the United Colonies refused to remove the Clinic from Narian's orbit. One year later, in 2195, the Freestar Collective officially moved in and mobilized a military to protect their new planet, seeing the United Colonies' refusal to back out of the system as a threat to their sovereignty. And within another year, in 2196, the United Colonies mobilized a fleet to Narian to protect their asset, which the Freestar Collective saw as a further threat and sent their own navy in response, which instigated the Narian War, which lasted 20 years before its end. The United Colonies effectively destroyed the entire Freestar Collective's navy, forcing them to back down and sign the Treaty of Narian and end the hostilities. I would love to know what happened in the Narian War specifically, but there really is not a lot of information regarding it, so we're going to kind of have to skip over it. But the terms of the treaty were that Narian was conceded back to the Freestar Collective in exchange for two concessions. The Freestar Collective had to pay back reparations for damage done in the form of mineral rights on other worlds, allowing the United Colonies to mine in their territory, and an agreement that all great factions in these settled systems would limit their colonies to three systems each, effectively stopping space colonialism. And of course, the clinic was allowed to remain in orbit around Narian. So I guess, technically a third concession. The United Colonies might have won the war, but over the course of two decades lost the support of their citizens, who came to see their leaders as brutal aggressors, who engaged in a 20 years long war over a space station which was, in all fairness, voted against by the planet whose orbit it was in. So the war ended in 2216, and as we mentioned before, it was 14 years later in 2230 that House Varun made its dramatic entrance to the galaxy. During these 14 years, nothing really happened. People settled more planets, and people did space stuff. There were some corporations who rose to power, but nothing really meaningful. And in 2231, the Council of Governors, who made important decisions on behalf of the Freestar Collective, established the Freestar Rangers. 
a peacekeeping military whose sole service was to protect and enforce the Freestar citizenry. The Freestar Rangers was entirely made up of citizen volunteers, which made it more of a militia than anything, but it was officially backed by the government. To this point, in the last 10 years since they had made themselves known to the galaxy, House Varun was basically just a quirky religion that was trying to get people to their side peacefully. But in 2240, for some unknown reason, they decided to put their mean faces on and officially declare war against anyone who was not following the gospel of the Great Serpent, marking the start of what was known as the Serpent's Crusade. This is exactly what it sounds like, and House Varun wandered the galaxy indiscriminately murdering anyone, be it military or citizen, who they deemed to be a non-believer. This was, believe it or not, not cool with the rest of the galaxy. Thousands of people died in this crusade, which lasted far longer than it had any right to. Unfortunately, there isn't a ton of information regarding the crusade and any notable battles that happened other than the Battle of the Wolf System, where House Varun managed to overrun the United Colonies Star Station, the Old Den, prompting them to make a new one to replace it, which they just called The Den. The creativity in naming here is just staggering. This did, however, actually affect the wolf system, and it became basically a UC nationalist colony. People residing in the den tended to be ultra-nationalist, and would pretty much open fire on anyone who talked smack about the United Colonies. 23 years later, in 2263, House Varun's founder and leader, Jinan Varun, died. We're not sure whether it was because of the war or old age, because if it was the same person who started House Varun in the first place on the colony ship, then they would be old as dirt. At this point, it had been 73 years since the Varun colony ship was lost after their departure from New Atlantis, assuming that that story is true, which again, it might not necessarily be, which would place their leader in their 90s, assuming that they were a young adult in their early 20s when they set out on their journey. So, Jinan was dead, and his heir, Jarek Varun, succeeded him as leader and immediately sued for peace with the rest of the galaxy. The war officially ended, and House Varun was able to set up an embassy on New Atlantis in an attempt to establish diplomatic relations with the rest of the galaxy. I think it's understandable that there were very few people who wanted anything to do with them after their attempted genocide, and they were, at the time of the game, unable to recoup their reputation in the following years. So, remember how I mentioned that House Varun was cut off from the rest of the galaxy? Yeah, that this is why. Because their homeworld is a secret to anyone who isn't in the family, and no one will openly trade with them, supply issues are abundant for their people. To get supplies to their homeworld from the rest of the settled systems, they have to resort to having smugglers bring supplies to random systems so that the Varun cargo ships can go and meet them, and then bring them back to their people. They also have spies all over the galaxy who are seemingly dropped off at random places to report in on the happenings of the rest of the galaxy to make sure that no one is planning to retaliate against House Varun for their past atrocities. I think that this is definitely a paranoia thing. Neither the United Colonies nor Freestar Collective were actually out for blood, and they weren't planning to try to find Varun Kai and take out the Varun. Yet, they still felt the need to spy on the rest of the galaxy from their little corner of the world. That kind of says a lot about House Varun and who they are. So now that we have met everyone, I just want to take a quick sidebar to discuss the names of the founders and the leaders of the different factions, because I find it actually very interesting. So let's start with the United Colonies, who, at this time, were under the leadership of Alexandra Abello. The name Alexandra comes from the Greek Alexin, which means to defend, and the word andros meaning man. So Alexandra can literally mean the defender of man or the protector of man. 
and I think that's pretty pertinent to the United Colonies' view of themselves, believing themselves the saviors of mankind after establishing the first new colony after the evacuation of Earth. From the Freestar Collective, we have Solomon Co. Solomon is derived from the Hebrew word shalom, meaning peace. And I'm really sorry for any mispronunciations coming up, because I am sure they are abundant, but I'm trying my best here. <laughs> the Semitic root of the name, Shin Lamed Mem, means whole or complete. In the Bible, Solomon was also a monarch of ancient Israel, and the son and successor of King David. Solomon was revered for his wisdom and wealth, and also for being a habitual man-whore. But I'm not really sure that last part has much to do with Solomon Co., but the air of peace, wisdom, and wealth certainly fits. Also, Solomon being a king is a direct parallel to Solomon Co. being the king of Aquila and the Cheyenne system, and also the founder of the Freestar Collective. For House Varun, we'll go with both Jinan and Jarek. Jinan is of Arabic origin and translates to paradise or garden, and is said to remind one to always look on the bright side of any situation, or to be idealistic. Jinan is also the name of a city in China which is known for its long-standing history, which we could take the English teacher's approach and say that it means that he cultivated a long, rich history in House Varun, or that rich history was referring to the myth of the Great Serpent, but I think that's kind of a stretch. I think that the first translation is a bit more in-your-face, being an obvious biblical parallel, especially them being locked away in their own corner of the galaxy in their own little paradise or secret garden. And then, of course, there's their whole religion, the Great Serpent, and the followers of this religion would be kept safe after the destruction of the galaxy. So, you know, their home planet is kind of a little paradise of sorts. Jarek, which is pronounced Jarek in-game, frustrates and confuses me because its origins are Slavic, and is pronounced Jarek, and is typically short for Jaroslav, which comes from the Polish Jar, which means strong or powerful, and Sława, meaning glory or fame. Depending on which flavor of Slav you ask, the name can mean something different from the god of spring, or the beauty of spring, to one who is strong in defending peace. I think that these are all pretty self-explanatory. Oh, I just had a power edge. That was weird. Wait, I don't have lights on down here. Yo, as I'm recording that, I'm currently in our basement, and there's enough natural light coming in that I don't need the lights on, but all the lights just went super dark. And it looked like there was a power outage, and I thought for a second that there was a power outage, and then I realized that all of the light coming in here is natural light. The, the world might have just blacked out, and this might be the great serpent pissed off that I'm talking about him. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Anyways, I think that all of these are pretty self-explanatory for someone who, as they came into power, stopped a war mounted by their predecessors and did everything in their power to start from scratch especially with the theme of spring being a renewal of sorts. So I guess what I'm getting at is that Bethesda has some damn good writers in their pocket, and names that are seemingly random can actually speak volumes for their characters. And sure, that's pretty common practice for writers, but I think it's impressive nonetheless. Plus, I really needed to flex that I know the right pronunciation for Yarek, and I'm confused that he's referred to as Jarek in the game. And then looking at my script and seeing... Yarek and Jarek, and it's really just a tomato-tomato scenario, and now I'm just writing tomato-tomato, and... Okay, moving on. For quite some time, nothing of note really happens between the factions. The war is over, House Varun is chilling out, and they're just kind of working on building up their own colonies. And then somewhere in the next century, in 2306, United Colonies Mast created the UC Xeno Warfare Division, which was a specialized military group tasked with researching and implementing ways to weaponize alien life forms. There is 
No way that could possibly go wrong. This division started at an undisclosed location, but was later moved to the planet Crete in the Narian system in 2307, which, if you remember, was under Freestar control. This would pose a serious issue if they were found out, so they carried on with the utmost discretion. Their main research was on a neural control interface which would latch onto an alien and manipulate them, and was used on certain species to varying degrees of success. In the same year, 2307, the Freestar Collective began mining and farming operations on the planet Vesta in the Lunara system. If you remember, one of the conditions of the Narian Treaty was that no major faction would take control of more than three systems. At this time, Freestar had Cheyenne, Narian, and Voli, so taking control of the Lunara system would give them four. The United Colonies would take issue with this and decided to act on the Freestar violating the treaty in 2308, stating that Freestar would not be allowed to colonize a fourth system. Some diplomatic discussions took place, but the United Colonies decided to take matters into their own hands when Freestar disagreed with them. Instead of dealing with this, you know, like adults, the United Colonies decided to send in their navy and raise the Freestar colony on Vesta to the ground, killing all Freestar military and citizens there. This was obviously not received very well, and marked the start of the next major conflict known as the Colony War. Here, the United Colonies decided to make use of their new fancy alien soldiers that they had been working on, and they deployed a group of marines with some pets, the Crete Stalkers, which they used in their slaughter of Vesta. Once that was deemed successful, they started genetically altering the aliens to be more lethal or to have specialized role in the war, which they would continue to use against the Freestar Collective. Another form of weaponry that was used pretty commonly was mechs. So they had these giant stompy robots that would cause mass destruction and caused a huge issue for everyone. Once again, I want to mention that most of the accounts we get of this in the game are from the United Colonies standpoint and are therefore very biased. If you ask anyone from Freestar about the war in the game, they'll tell you that the UC frames the whole thing to make themselves look like they didn't just start massacring people. So I'm going to try to take both sides here and come up with what probably happened with the limited information that we have. One of the first major conflicts in this war was the Battle of Nera, where the United Colonies tried to take the Freestar planet of Nera as a forward operating base. Freestar repeatedly assaulted the planet in an attempt to reclaim it, but to no avail. Because of the constant assault, large swaths of the planet were devastated, and the planet wouldn't fully recover from this in the events of the game and served as a reminder of the brutality of war. During the war, the United Colony city of Londinian, a newly built supply hub to serve the war effort, was overrun by a hostile alien race called the Terramorphs. These were large, six-limbed monsters that served as the Death Claws of Starfield, if you're familiar with Fallout. They were resilient, agile, and had some form of mental power that could overpower weaker life forms. They would emit a haze that would cause a person to go into hysterics, often hurting or killing those around them. Because of this, they were a huge danger to colonies. Terramorphs tend to crop up in human colonies after about 70 to 100 years after the colony is established. I suppose this coming up is the only spoiler for the game, but not for the main story, so if you want to avoid spoilers for the UC Vanguard quest, then skip forward about 30 seconds or so and you should be good. Terramorphs transform from heat leeches, which are an alien life form that tend to stow away on ships and are treated as a general pest. But as they are, heat leeches are non-threatening. So this is why terramorphs show up in colonies, but I'm assuming it takes so long because there's a sort of incubation period like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, but this butterfly will make you kill your family and then eat you alive. 
With that minor spoiler out of the way, these terror morphs that showed up were particularly aggressive and showed up earlier than expected. This devastated the city of Londinian, and the United Colonies was forced to abandon it. They had to bomb the spaceport, trapping the citizens in the city in an effort to make sure that the terror morphs' warpath didn't spread. This was a massive blow to the United Colonies and would mark their downfall in the war. This war would culminate soon after in 2311 at the Battle of Cheyenne. A flotilla of military and civilian Freestar ships used hit-and-run tactics to destroy a number of the United Colonies' ships. Freestar was able to win this way, and after the battle, both sides agreed that the war should be brought to an end before more damage could be done. If you ask Freestar, it's because the United Colonies was worried about being wiped out. If you ask the United Colonies, they would tell you that they were being nice. This led to the signing of the Armistice, which was similar to the last treaty that was signed. It stated the rules about the size of a military fleet that any major faction could have, along with bans on mechs and xeno-warfare. All research about these subjects would get stowed away in New Atlantis in the Armistice archives. If anyone wanted to get their hands on the research, all three major factions would have to agree and generate a code, which would allow access to a very specific set of data that was stored in a massive server. The two powers never really came to trust each other after the Colony War, and for good reason, but they managed to work together diplomatically for the better of the citizens. And then there was House Varun, which no one got along with, so all three major factions were in disagreement. There was a monument built in New Atlantis to honor those who were lost in the war, but it served more as a bitter reminder to the citizens of the petty wars that humanity has engaged in since their journey to the stars. As a reaction to the Freestar Rangers who absolutely yucked them up in space, the United Colonies decided that they needed a civilian military of their own and created the UC Vanguard. But past that, there isn't a whole lot to tell. Shortly after, in 2330, the events of Starfield would happen, and the rest is history. But even then, none of the factions had any major conflicts or breakthroughs during the period of the game. So, that brings us to this. What do you think? Do you think that the wars waged by any of the major factions were justified, or do you think that they could have avoided them by just talking it out like adults? My vote lies with the latter. You can find us online at lore to death on your favorite social media or podcast websites, and if you have any ideas for an episode, feel free to answer the Spotify Q&A section in the app or send a message on Instagram where I'm most active. Or show up to my house, give me a handwritten letter and a kiss on the cheek. And until next time, remember, you are made up of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. All of these things combined mean that you are literally a star. Shine bright, be kind, and don't go supernova. No, no one likes that. And I'll chat you off next time. See ya.